everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the CX Cast, where we talk about all things experience. I'm Adele Sage, your co-host, joined as always by my co-host, Angelina Jenis. Hello, Angelina. Hi, everyone. And today we have a guest who is new to the podcast, but not new to Forrester. We have with us Sue Doyle, who is an executive partner and senior analyst on the customer experience team. And she actually used to be a colleague of mine, an advisor with the Customer Experience Council and also the Marketing Councils. And we're so excited to have you here. Welcome, Sue. Thank you. Excited to be here. Can you start out by telling us more about your role as an executive partner? What does that mean and what do you do as an executive partner? Well, as the title suggests, I partner with executives. So I work with the senior most customer experience leader in an organization and help take their initiatives forward. And that lends itself nicely to understanding what research is needed from these senior most CX leaders. So what what coverage areas do you have? Dell and Angelina, we talk to CX leaders every day and we're so excited when they get that new charter or they start that new position and they're funding that new role and they're building the organization and they're putting points on the board and they're flush with energy and passion to improve CX quality. And then they get to a point where they have to scale it. And a lot of them get stuck (laughs) when they have to scale because the approaches and strategies that worked for them to start something up aren't the same when it comes to embedding something in the enterprise. Because it's no longer about the CX function anymore, it's about the whole enterprise and building influence. So Angelina, you and I come through hundreds of case studies to find out, okay, what are these high functioning CX teams doing? You know, as they're taking things to the enterprise and what do they do things differently? Mm -hmm. And it reinforced a pattern that we kind of suspected anyway, which is you can't treat CX as a standalone function. You have to look at it as a build versus buy almost. You have to look at what are you going to do yourself as a CX function? And then who do you need to partner with to expand CX's role in the organization? internal partners and external partners. So working with that and internal stakeholder influence are the two topics I'm working with. So Sue, I know you're not just writing reports on collaboration, on stakeholder management, on scaling. You're also building tools. Can you tell us about some of the tools you're building and what the need was that you're meeting with those tools? Yeah, well, we're so used to giving advice at Forrester and we give very sage advice. And then the question is, okay, how do I do that? And how do I make that happen? So for instance, we'll talk about stakeholder collaboration. So we know that collaboration works when it's done in a systematic, methodical way, right? It's almost like making friends on the playground, right? You just can't try to make friends with everyone at once. And frankly, we don't know any CX leaders who have an excess of time on their hands, right? So it's picking your battles and picking the people who are most likely to help you advance that transformation. So I worked with my colleague, Amy Bills, from the serious decision side of the house to put together a stakeholder influence tool. And we have two axes. The vertical axis is what's the level of influence or clout this person has? You know, are they a cool kid in the organization, in other words? And then on the horizontal axis, it's how aligned are they with CX? So a CFO may have a lot of power, but is not necessarily aligned with customer loyalty or acquisition or enrichment. So it's picking those spots. Who are you going to approach? And then figuring out a plan, how do you want to engage with these people? And then how do you want to measure your progress over time? How 
are you making inroads in the org? And it's, it's a little bit funny. Actually, Adele, you have put together an executive CX roundtable. And I remember you and I played Divide and Conquer at a past CX NYC. And I met with the roundtable and it was funny because we were talking about how do you build influence within your org? And we had one CXO who had one of those little Mosca notebooks and he had, he was making tallies, you know, like a little black book of who he talked to and when. There was another who said, I just follow my CEO around. If he's doing something, I know it must be important. So this is great, but it's not systematic and it's not sustainable and it's not scalable. And I joked with the group, because I'm a former CMO as well as being a former CXO, and said, how many of you are former CMOs? Doesn't this sound like account-based marketing, which is <laughs> when you're selling to a very complex buying group, you have to know everybody, the purchasing agent, you've got to know the CFO, you've got to know the main decision maker, and you have to be able to influence them all in a concerted way. Doesn't this sound like internal ABM? And that's exactly why I started working with the Sirius team, because we had all these great ABM tools. We just flipped them to use internally. I love that. I love that there is Genesis from uh, an executive roundtable too. Your executive roundtable, I may add. I think something else that came from that roundtable and I hear all the time is the whole idea of work with the willing. I'm going to work with people who want to work with me, which makes perfect logical sense. And it is the right thing to do. But again, to use the playground analogy, if you were, you worked with everyone who came up and was friendly to you, you wouldn't have enough time right, for your strategy. So I actually <laughs> worked with a um, financial services firm where I was helping them with prioritization. And they had a spreadsheet with well over 100 rows, like help me prioritize this. It was crazy. The one thing they had at the very top and they were spending all their time and effort on was this one work stream with willing participants. These were people who were friendly to them and really wanted CX. And that was great. The not so great part is that team had the longest sales cycle of any other product in the org. It was 18 months minimum. And they were probably the wrong people to focus on because they wouldn't be able to show progress fast enough, hmm. right? So just because you work with someone who's willing doesn't mean they're necessarily the right choice. So it's placing those smart bets. And it does feel a little bit, to use the playground analogy again, that you're building a clubhouse, right? And saying, okay, here are the important people and you can't come in. But what you're building is, is a construct to prioritize your collaboration efforts. I love that. And I love also the idea that you don't play with everybody else on the playground in exactly the same way. Right. Some people you might go on the swing, some people you might go on the slide, some people you might play catch, you know, that there's, there's lots of different ways of collaborating. So what's some of the advice that you give to clients around how to think about those different types of stakeholders that they work with? Well, they have to come with a story right in their back pocket, which is kind of the win-win story or the collaboration story. So it is influence, but essentially every CX leader is in sales, right? You have to win people over. So they have to have a story as to why it makes sense for us to work together. What's in it for you? What's in it for me? The win-win. They also have to understand a little bit more about the metrics for how those people are gold so those can be in alignment. It can't just be the assumption, hey, I care about customers, don't you? right? It has to be, you know what? You need to generate more growth for the business through new customers. Let's instrument this prospect journey together so we can improve the chances of bringing in new customers. Okay. I think that's a great segue because given your background as both CMO, CXO, and this theme you've been bringing up 
around acquisition. You've also been doing some research here because a lot of CX teams focus on retention. And there's this big opportunity if we do want to scale and we want to get more stakeholders on board to talk about acquisition. So can you tell us a little about what you're working on there? Yeah, sure. I mean, sometimes CX suffers a little bit from a positioning or an image problem, because if it's all about loyalty, of course, loyalty is important, <laughs> incredibly important to keep growth going in sustainable growth in an organization. But if you're thought of as the person who keeps customers happy, you're thought of as the maintenance crew. You're maintaining something. You're not growing something, right? It doesn't feel as strategic or as glamorous. And there's a huge opportunity to take that, yes, customers are the C and CX, but to think about how do you build more growth for the business? So whenever executives are implementing growth strategies, right? Like a whole new product line, or they're purchasing another organization, or they're getting into a new market space, or acquiring a new customer segment, there is a ton of risk. And they don't have a lot of information to place their bets. They really don't, right? It's the same pivot tables and demographic research, right? They may know, hey, there are 5 million people in this market. If we only get a half a percent, then we're good. They're not helping their chances of success. And let's think about what we know as CX leaders. We understand customers so deeply, so intimately, we know not just who these people are, we know how they buy, why they buy, why they make certain decisions, what's important to them. Once you increase your classes of success, if you understand the behavioral nature of this new market, once you increase your chances of success, if you were able to co-create products with customers as opposed to launching something and hoping it goes well, we have so many tools in the CX toolkit that can help drive growth for an organization. And I think, frankly, as CX leaders, we're selling ourselves short when we don't look at the growth side, there's so much that we can contribute and it puts us in a different light because we are driving new business for the organization as opposed to being in, in that maintenance mode. This is so interesting. I had a client recently say to me something about how it feels so typically as though marketing is worried about acquisition and customer experience is worried about retention. So what you're talking about is also about some marriage of, of those groups and their, their metrics. I mean, I know we had Rick on talking more about that in the past, but how does that come up in your research as well? Yeah, it, it comes up a lot, right? It's not just acquiring more customers, it's the right ones who are going to be more profitable. But I think some of this is understanding how marketers are gold. It is more campaigns, more activity, keep putting things in the funnel, right? Keep generating more demand. And the reality is more is not necessarily better. We know as CX leaders, more engagement isn't necessarily better. Getting more emails from a company does not mean you're going to be more engaged, <laughs> more notifications. In fact, you may be less engaged and less loyal to that company. So it's really looking at governance between the two. How are we engaging with customers and prospects? And what's the end goal? Um, some of this is about putting together shared goals so that marketing and CX can be on the same page and, and can win together. They need each other to win. I like that because we are constantly asked, should CX sit in marketing? And it's the wrong question to ask. It's not where you sit. It's, it's going back to stakeholder influence. It's who has the influence and where the expertise is to actually tackle the bigger opportunities in CX. And that goes not just for marketing, but sales, product, right? So sales needs to engage in a certain way. And we think about the pandemic forced many sales teams 
to have to engage in different ways because field sales couldn't get in the field anymore. There were no warm handshakes. There were no more customer visits and plant tours to help seal the deal. Same thing with product, right? How many products are launched without deep customer understanding and some degree of co-creation? And how expensive is it to launch a new product? Really expensive. I think there's a lesson here and also the CX team, it goes both ways. Getting some expertise from marketing who may sit on a lot of insights as well and learning from them and collaborating with them could be a big opportunity to get more credibility. And I know we are all about storytelling in CX and we don't necessarily have those skills, but our friends in marketing might have those skills. That's one area of overlap. Angelina, you and I worked on, you know, five different strategies, right? So you can partner with insights and data teams to really understand what's going on and pivot really quickly in real time. You can align with brand and EX teams to really bring that customer vision to life. You can even align with the process geeks in your organization. And they often call themselves process geeks who are Six Sigma lean people who are into continuous improvement and add CX to that continuous improvement toolkit. Or you can really organize around journeys. I mean, Joanna de Quintanilla writes a lot around the journey-centric firm. And there's a lot to be said for making the ownership journey ownership as opposed to by product line or function. When you and I were doing the research, we actually found a couple of firms, one of them being Sage Software, this is not a call out to you, Adele, who embeds their customer journey in their annual report. And I'd just like to point out that this is one of your secret tricks that I'm going to reveal to everyone else out there that is, you know, trying to understand maybe competitors or maybe even their own clients. You read market reports before going in front of clients all the time. And you you've struck gold by looking through those market reports. I just very impressed when we get on a call with a client and you know how well they did in the past year and what they're working on. And it's publicly accessible information which is more than we can say for a lot of the client conversations that we have. So yeah, market reports, great tool. Well, I have my little hack and that is I read the presentation. The presentation has everything on slides. The latest investor presentation lays everything right out there. It's interesting too, quite a few firms say that they're committed to CX in their investor reports, which is great. For some, I was walking through one last week and it said, here's our commitment to CX. And it was all about backend systems and technology. Or they'll say, we're committed to CX and we have a high NPS score, but they're not backing it up. And others, like Sage, publish their customer journey. Virgin Money does something very similar. They show exactly, they have diagrams to say, here's how we serve the customer and here's how we improve CX quality. You can look at maturity pretty easily by looking at the annual report. And these earnings reports tell you what the thinking is at the top, right? This is what the CEO is presenting to shareholders. Yeah, is it more than just? lip service, that we know the customer matters, but what are we actually doing about it? Yeah, you'd be hard pressed to find a CEO who says, I don't care about customers. <laughs> cool. Is there anything else, Sue, you want us to ask you? I'm so excited about some of the new tools and frameworks we're putting together to bring this to life and to help with some of these assessments. I would say with collaboration, one of the things that you and I are working on, Angelina, is how do you know how to collaborate, right? Yes, you're looking at cloud and you're looking at alignment, but some of this is looking at the nature of your company. You don't want to go against the grain. You really want to lean into your strengths. So I mentioned process geeks before. You may be at a company that says things like, we're data geeks, 
or sales is the holy grail, or here's who we are. You know, we're, um, we're a people company, or we think of our personas as real people. And these are all clues in terms of how do you collaborate effectively? Because if you can go with your informal company motto, if you can go with your informal company strategy, or you can go after a big investment, let's say your firm hires a chief data officer or puts together an insight center of excellence, that's telling you, take the insights route when it comes to collaboration and partnering. There are clues all over your organization and you don't need a degree in forensics to find out. And that's a great place to start. But if you have a degree in forensics, that's a good bonus. Oh, I would say go for it. Yeah. Nice. I like that. One thing I am passionate about and one reason that I care about growth strategies so much, not just because I have that, that background, it's because there were too many CX leaders who feel as if they have to go back to the well every year, that they have to justify why CX is important. And if we can look at this from another lens and think about what's important to the rest of the executive team, which is usually growth or new market development or new products, then if we align with those goals, then we'll be in a much stronger position. And we won't feel as if we have to keep asking for funding. And one of the things I know, Angelina, that we found in our State of the CX team study at the end of last year is that the number one function of CX teams is building a business case. Mm -hmm. It's got to be easier than that. It can't be that hard. <laughs> no, true. It's building a business case and they struggle to figure out how to build that business case, even though that is what they list as their number one responsibility. So a lot of opportunity. And I think you'll find a lot of people knocking on your door now that they know that you are an expert in, in these areas where CX teams struggle most. Yeah. Everyone's going to look up soon now, as they should. <laughs> <laughs> well, I look to both of you, actually, if I think about it. You're my two go-tos. Thanks. So, Sue, what are some of the reports and tools that folks should look out for in the coming months as you go live with your content? Well, we have a collaboration assessment coming up, leaning more on providing more science beyond we're data geeks or we're process geeks to set direction. There's a whole toolkit around, okay, now that you know how you want to collaborate, how do you get started? And you know, here are some mini case studies that you can look at, and here are some aligned KPIs. Also doing the same thing around stakeholder messaging. You brought this up, Adele. Okay, you know you want to be friends with this kid. What kind of lunch do you want to trade with them, right? Or, or what kind of activity do you want? So working more around what that story is, the collaboration story, and also quite a bit around ROI and measurement. Those are the other set of questions I get. So not just ROI for commercial companies, but we're also doing a series of ROI in low choice industries, you know, you have utilities, government, health insurance, where the ROI equation is a little bit different, but no less powerful. That's going to be huge. Yeah. People are going to love it. They're going to love it. So that was Sue Doyle. She is an executive partner and a senior analyst at Forrester. Sue, thanks for joining. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Thanks everyone for listening. That was the CX cast for this week.